sometimes we forget that it's what we need to develop professionally is to get better at communicating what we need, what we want, and also to give feedback to each other. How are things going both to someone that you're maybe managing, but also receive it in return. I think it's a two-way conversation. And that's something that sometimes gets lost in an organization. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag, so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, my intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hey there, it's your gal Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent and our season centered around navigating change and navigating change in a holistic way that supports your career, your health and your relationship. Now, you do not need me to tell you that today's economy and workplace is in a state of rapid evolution. It's being infused with the thinking of a new generation and also a post-COVID era. And this means change is happening around us in real time, and we are all being called to think and do differently. And the burden of all this shifting, it's a lot for any leader. It can lead to burnout for any of us, but burnout while certainly not the goal, does serve a purpose. Burnout is the invitation to reinvent. It is the invitation for us to reconsider swapping out the hierarchical workplace structure that burns us out in the first place in favor of something more collaborative. I mean, what if instead of the boss and employee dynamic, everyone was seen as co-creators? What if we treated one another like thinking, feeling, humans, all navigating a changing world together. Wild idea, right? Well, in this episode, I got to gather with industry innovator, creative visionary, and legacy builder, Emily Pritchard. Over the past decade, Emily has disrupted preconceived notions of the social media industry and transformed it into a viable way to drive business. And perhaps most importantly, she is inspiring a new way of embracing our shared humanity in today's workforce. You're going to hear Emily's unique perspective on how allowing for a greater element of humanity in the workplace opens the doors to better relationships and more collaborative productivity. And she shares specifically how this shift in our traditional paradigm actually helps us become better at communicating what we need and more effective when exchanging in feedback. You're going to learn how inspiring action rather than forcing it upon others helps shape a new generation of leaders. And whether you run a company or a household or just your own day, Emily's hard-won wisdom is like a surfboard. It's a steady surface that will bore you on the waves of change and propel you forward with more grace and certainly more allies in your corner. And if this is the first time you're joining me this season, please know that there is a beautiful guidebook that goes along with this season where I've curated the best tools that all of our guests have shared with us 
plus the framework that my clients and I use to navigate change so that you can go deeper into the material you hear on these episodes and have your own custom guide to meet you in this moment. It's totally free. There's nothing for sale in there. Go get your copy at the link in the show notes here or visit carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get it. I highly recommend you give yourself the generous space to get the best of this episode onto the page so that you've got it in your back pocket. All right. If you're ready to discover a more sustainable and human path to navigating the transitions in business and life, then this episode is for you. What in your head or your heart wants to be heard today? My truth. Like everyone has one, your inner truth. Like, what is it? What's one thing that's true for you today? What's true for me today is just having clarity on where I'm at and where I'm going and peace with the past. (laughs) Oh, clarity on where I'm at, where I'm going and some peace with the past. Yeah. Isn't that the place we all want to be welcoming in that? Well, this couldn't be more perfect for our conversation as we have this entire season on navigating graceful transitions or any kind of change. They're not always graceful, right? But how do we, how can we weave in elements of intentionality and purpose and grace? And that is something you do so powerfully and so beautifully, Emily. So thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. So here's my first question. You are known for having a really unique leadership style. And I'm curious for you, what's the difference between being a boss and being a coach or an advocate when it comes to leadership styles? There's nothing against being called a boss. I just think that there has been an overemphasis on what it means to be a boss to the point that it's created a little bit of a power struggle and interesting power dynamics in the workplace. So, you know, my story is I really have never had a boss. I didn't go into the workforce when I was in college. So a lot of the leadership traits and styles that I have learned and used in my approach have been things that I've observed since I was a child in the leaders around me, which happen to be people who are modeling leadership like my parents or my coaches when I was an athlete. And that to me is where I started to notice the difference in the workplace between what we consider a boss and what I would consider more of a coach or an advocate. So here's a couple ways that I think that you could see it coming to life. I think when it comes to being a boss, the power is held within that person's status. There's a little bit of an ego that comes with a title, with a role that you're given or a role that you've earned in the workplace. But sometimes that can lead to it being a really top-down, heavy-handed approach of delegation or giving orders and getting things done on their teams, but not really looking out for the best interests of those who are there to work with them. So in tandem with that, you aren't really getting what you want out of your workforce because they're going to start to wait, sit on their heels and wait for you to tell them what to do, wait for you to tell them what's next in their career, what the right answer is. Whereas I think if you shift that mindset into being a coach or being an advocate and think about the someone you would consider in your life to be a coach or an advocate for you, whether that was when you were younger, when you were older, that person saw something in you that maybe you didn't recognize in yourself. They asked you a lot of questions. 
They led with a lot of curiosity. Have you thought about this? Where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? And then with that came a lot of accountability and holding you to the things that you shared with them, holding you accountable, yet letting you take responsibility for you where you wanted to go. And how I see that translate into the workplace, especially with the next generation of employees entering the workplace is how do we help coach them along? How do we show them the potential that they have and empower them to go there on their own, to build what that path is going to look like and to inspire action rather than force it. And I think in return, we're going to see a much more accountable workforce that's taking ownership and pride in what they're doing and going further maybe than they ever thought they could because of the people that told them and saw something in them that they couldn't see. That phrase, inspire action rather than force it. I mean, I'm writing that down. <laughs> like there it is, you know. I'm curious for you as you as you talk about this model of being advocates or coaches or mentors to those that we work with. Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Has there been a moment where somebody's seen something in you that you didn't see yet and they've helped bring that forth with you? There's so many. From like a very early age, I really resonated most with people who pushed me, who challenged me, who made me more curious about what I am capable of and what my interests are and what I might do with that. So funny story, I will take you back to second grade Emily. (laughs) Oh, I want to meet second grade Emily so much. Second grade Emily, who I think, what, you're seven or eight years old at the time. But I was a very ambitious kid. I loved school, took it very seriously in terms of however seriously you can take it as a second grader, like (laughs) studying for the spelling test. But my teacher was Mrs. Ashland. And Mrs. Ashland had a profound impact on my life because while she ran her class, a very strict classroom, a lot of people didn't want Mrs. Ashland as a teacher. Sorry, Mrs. Ashland, if you're listening, (laughs) because she was known to really challenge every student with where they were. And for me, what that meant was giving me extra assignments, finding different ways to keep me stimulated, not just in what we were studying in school, but in interest beyond that. So I had a unique school where in second grade, every second grader gets to dissect a lamb's eye. And what you do in this process is you've learned all about the different parts of the eye. And second grade, Emily became obsessed with wanting to be an ophthalmologist, which is an eye doctor. (laughs) And, you know, while I'm not an eye doctor today, what I connect back to second year old Emily is vision. And the ability to see something, to experience something that really changes your perception of the world and where you see your place in it. And so I always go back to second grade Emily because she was, you know, just young and the world was ahead and she was still kind of exploring what that's going to look like. And even though it's unraveled in a way that I could have never expected, I think those little moments that change you and shift your perspective are worth noting. No matter how old or young you are, they shape who you are. Well, and you led with the word curiosity. You know, you were curious as a kid. I see how whether you're an ophthalmologist or not, you're bringing that same curiosity into what it is you're doing right now. And I'm so curious for you. So this is a great example of also the ways that we can impact each other at any level at any time. 
like our ability to be there and advocate for somebody or listen to them and support them makes a big difference. And I'm curious for you, having had the socialites now for a decade, which is a tremendous accomplishment, especially in your field, which is so rapidly evolving and so rapidly changing. How is the mindset of the culture at the socialites evolved from boss to advocate? How do you do that? How do you equip a team to come from a place of advocacy and support? I think this is where entering the workforce without a lot of experience in the workforce, I didn't have the experience of a bad boss. I didn't have the experience. So I've always embraced be the boss that you wanted to have, be the coach or the advocate that you want to work for or work with. And I think that that mixture of innate and learned behavior has really shaped who I am. And there's definitely been missteps along the way. There have been situations that looking back, wow, I wish I would have handled differently. But I took something from that situation and decided like that didn't feel good to me or that didn't feel good to them. Like, what can we do differently next time? Um, So I think as we've grown a lot over the last decade, our team has changed a lot, but What hasn't changed is people's desire to continue growing. That's always been the same. And so I think if you're embracing advocacy as the way that you want to grow with your team and help develop your team, it is just by asking a lot more questions, taking a step out of the day-to-day to ask people like, how are you doing? Where are you at right now? How are you coming into this meeting? And also being okay if they're not okay. I think sometimes in the workplace, It's not okay to not be okay. Bosses or managers, they don't have time for that. They don't want to hear that. They need to get things done. And while it does introduce unique dynamics in the workplace and some challenges and complexities, I think it's really important to create space for those conversations to happen, to truly welcome those in, and then decide together, like, what are we going to do about it? Where's the place where I can solve this? What type of time or space do I need to work through something? Talk it out. I think, you know, communication, we're in the business of communication. It's what we do professionally, but sometimes we forget that it's what we need to develop professionally is to get better at communicating what we need, what we want, and also to give feedback to each other. How are things going both to someone that you're maybe managing, but also receive it in return. I think it's a two-way conversation. And that's something that sometimes gets lost in an organization. Well, what it sounds like you're saying here, and tell me if I'm getting this right, but you're allowing for an element of humanity at work, not the expectation that we're robots and that we put up a certain you know persona at work and a different persona at home, but that there's some fluidity there. And I hear you creating naturally within that boundaries, you know, like still figuring out, okay, what do we bring? What's for the workplace to help you process? What's for you to process on your own? All that. But there's a space of not expecting each other to act like robots or machines. Can we be curious to go back to your curiosity about each other, to be curious about Mm -hmm. self, but also to be curious about each other? How are you coming to this meeting? What are you bringing? How are you doing? What do you need? But you dropped a very subtle line at the end. Tell me if I'm getting it right. You said that being a two-way street as a leader. So am I getting it right in that you're, you're suggesting that as leaders, we could be in a place of asking others how they're doing and also being okay sharing a little bit about how we're doing? Absolutely. And that, that's really hard. And that's a vulnerability I've had to learn and practice and cultivate because it takes time to understand and have self-awareness for where I am at. 
and then know who are the people and when is the right environment for me to share that, especially as the leader of the company. But every owner of a business, CEO, leader who has a lot on their plate, they'll tell you it can be really lonely. It can be really isolating when you're not receiving feedback for how you're doing or you're not getting asked, how's it going? Where are you at? And able to give an answer that is true to what, what you're experiencing in the moment. And candidly, I think in our industry, I'll speak for you know marketing and advertising, there's a lot of talk around openness, like we want to hear your feedback. And I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I don't think that there's a lot of substance there. I think it's a lot of people just check the box. And what we've done is we've actually built programming and feedback loops and things around different ways that people are comfortable sharing. I also think it's not a one size fits all. So some people think, I want to have a deep conversation in person in your office with you. And that's not how a lot of people like to give or receive feedback. So what are alternative ways? How do you balance out giving feedback anonymously, giving feedback directly in more intimate settings, in more of town hall or group settings? So I think it's also thinking about giving feedback, receiving feedback as a leader in multiple forums because everyone's different but everybody has a voice. And I think everyone knows that my voice will be heard and considered as part of what we're building at this company. I think there's a lot of power in that. I think there's a lot of power in the collective voices coming together and being able to share openly with each other. Well, absolutely. And I think you're tapping on something, you know, we did an interview a couple of years ago and I'll put a link to it in the show notes about the myth of the solo hero and I think you're speaking right to that, right? This idea that if we're the boss, to use that term at the top, who's just kind of delegating and, and expecting to always show up with the facade that I got it all figured out, I can handle this, I'm on it, that we are accidentally creating a rather isolated experience. And I think for all the people who are listening, who are the go-to people for everybody else <laughs> in their days, that there's this funny sense of feeling like, Everybody only knows you for the things you're doing well, and they don't know the other things that you might be navigating also, and that we're all doing both at the same time. And so this element of extending humanity, both to your employees, your colleagues, but also to yourself is huge. And I think for a lot of us who have been praised for being the ones that have it all together, this takes, to your earlier point, a lot of courage, a lot of emotional honesty to say, okay, what if when somebody said, hey, how are you? I said, I'm mostly good instead of I'm great, <laughs> right? Or, or what if somebody, you know, like if we could just be a little bit more honest in that we don't need our leaders to be perfect, that they can be humans also, and that we can collaborate in deeper ways as a result of that. It's huge, Emily. It's huge. And it reminds me of this phrase. Emily has this really powerful phrase. The first time I ever heard you say it, it was like a stop the presses moment, Emily. I was like, wait, can you say that again? Like that was huge. You talk about creating an entrepreneurial ecosystem. So can you explain what that is and how that's a little bit different from this whole do-it-yourself model of leadership? Yeah, I think um, it's so funny when we come back to entrepreneurial ecosystem because it sounds like a very technical term for a very simple concept in my mind, which is just having grown up in a really small town in rural Iowa where what powers the community there are small business owners. And they might not even consider themselves an 
entrepreneur in the way that the world has kind of overhyped what it means to be an entrepreneur. But the community thrives when everybody works together, when there's different businesses that do different things and you rely on each other. There's an interdependence of how the businesses operate, how the community functions, how you support each other, either through commerce, volunteerism, just in general, like kindness. I think sometimes we overlook those simple things. So when I think about entrepreneurial ecosystem, both from a leader perspective and how you build community within your workplace, but also from a business perspective and how you build a business for the long haul. You know, I went to business school and I absolutely loved it, but it's always like build, grow, sell, build, grow, sell. And I actually come from a 108 year old family business, like selling off the table. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe someday that's for another conversation, but it was about building for the long term, building for the legacy. And I think as an entrepreneur, you start to be a different leader. You start to make different types of decisions when you take a long-term mentality in how you build your team, how you develop them in their careers, invest in things like training and development and peer-to-peer mentorship within the workplace. So it's actually taking some of those concepts and values that I hold really dearly, but putting them into practice, like actually living out those values through my business. And through the way that we're building a company or a group of companies eventually that work together, support each other, rather than just taking it all on yourself. And I can personally relate to the solo hero. We talk about the solo hero a lot. If there's one thing Carly has taught me in two years of knowing her and working together, it's where is the power coming from? Is it coming from a place of scarcity or a place of abundance? And a lot of time, the place of abundance, it's not about you. It's about who you're doing it with or who you're doing it for, or your own connection to yourself. And I think that as any business leader, it's easy to get stuck in the mindset that you're the only one. There aren't enough helpers. There aren't enough people. You need to swoop in and do everything. But I found a huge shift in how I lead and how I show up and how I feel when I do it with others. So that's really at the core of the entrepreneurial ecosystem is the people that you're doing it with, the people that you're doing it for, and how how you're collaborating and co-creating really what the vision is going to be. I think what you're speaking about is huge, Emily, and it's so relatable for a lot of us. I mean, if you're in an entrepreneurial position, or even if you're you know within an executive role or or within a nonprofit role, there's such a, a story ingrained within us that if I want this done right, I've got to do it myself. Right. And maybe we've experienced moments of that where that is what we learned in the moment. And so now it's become a repetitive habit. It worked one place. And so we're expecting it to work other places. And what you're doing through this conversation of entrepreneurial ecosystem is really opening a door to, okay, yeah, sometimes if you want it done right, you need to do it yourself. What else could be true here too? Like what else might also be possible here? And so it's really this invitation to expand upon, well, is this a fact or a belief? Like, is it a belief that if I don't do it all myself, it's not going to work? Or could something else, right, also be be possible here? So I'm curious, just in a candid, informal way, can you give an example of what some of the elements of the the socialite entrepreneurial ecosystem is? Like, what what does that look like? What other organizations would you consider part of your your ecosystem? What does that practically look like? 
practically speaking, if you start at the base of who we are, it's how we've designed our organizational structure, how we've designed a pretty flat organization where people are hybrid by nature, not just hybrid when we talk about where they're working from, but hybrid in what they bring in terms of their skill sets, their interests, the departments and the divisions that they collaborate within. So at the Socialites, practically speaking, we have generalists and specialists and people who they didn't get a degree in social media. When we're screening candidates and we're hiring, we don't look at you know what degree you got. We're looking at people who graduated with creative writing, people who are economists, analysts, people who are really, really creative producers. And we take that into our workplace and we shape them into different career paths that have never existed before. So for us, that is very entrepreneurial and innovative. And it creates an ecosystem where they get to co-create with us. This role might not exist here today, but what could it look like tomorrow? A very real situation where that could come up is we have some people on our team that are content creators. They make things. They make things for the internet. So it's not what you would typically think. They make memes. You know, they write content. They write poems sometimes to the people that they're engaging with. But these are also people that have lots of interests outside of just making things on the internet. They want to know, did it work? Like, I want to run some numbers. I want to learn about the business. I want to learn how to start a social media agency someday. Maybe I want to start my own agency someday. So we've actually built out programming, both from professional development skills, like leadership, communication, giving feedback, taking accountability and ownership, all the way to the actual skills that you need, like creative writing 101, how to pull data, how to analyze the results, how to run a social listening report. So we bring these things together and create a community that then when people get developed in their career enough, they might start their own division or another company that we work with. And so we're open to the co-creation of what that could look like. So it's it's very early stages of development, but What's beautiful is we get to do all of the proof of concept in-house. So we're tinkering, we're experimenting, we're designing ways that we can learn where people want to go and how we could give them the support and the resources to get there as we create the what's next and the where we're going as a company. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy, the place that motivated women come to reclaim their time, energy, and clarity, both on the spot and for the long haul. So if you're craving more authenticity, or your body is telling you it is tired of being tired, or you're just so over going over loops in your mind about the next best steps for yourself, well, you can get free access to the Boundary Brunch recording where I share the three things that women who already have healthy, sturdy boundaries know and do. It's a game changer and it's totally free with nothing for sale in there. Visit carlyfane.com to get access and get spacious today and replace any accidental people pleasing with peace of mind. I think about how innovative the socialites has continued to be. And this is such a great example of that is I can see where the innovation comes from on a practical level. If you continue to be including people from all different walks of life, different experience, different types of education, different types of passion, any given industry can accidentally box itself in. We become insular, right? If 
a massage therapist only hangs out with other massage therapists, then those are the skills you're going to pick up, right? But if you hang out with an architect and you also hang out with a landscaper and you hang out with a financial banker, and, and I think about some of the research and data that we're seeing about the power of micro networking, that we're noticing that it's not the people who have the largest networks necessarily who tend to make the most sustainable progress. It's those who have small networks that are diverse, right? Where they're bringing in influence from different areas. And I think this is part of what you're, you're really modeling beautifully and pioneering here. And so I'm curious, you talk about this being in a new stage and you're developing proof of concept for this model. This is about evolution. Like this is about an ongoing shift and an ongoing change. How have your career goals evolved over the past decade? How have things shifted for you in this evolutionary way of growing a business? I mean, it's a great question and something I've been thinking about for a few years now. Starting the business in college, you are only focused on survival in those early stages. We're a bootstrapped company, meaning, as they say in the business world, like you kill what you eat. We don't have investors. So, you know, at 22 years old, you're knocking on doors and you're setting up meetings and really like you're in survival mode and you don't even realize it. There's a lot of naivety. Like, I don't know the difference, but there's also a lot of fear, fear of failing, fear that this isn't going to work, that anything could happen and your world could come crashing down at any moment. So you just continue to push, you continue to persevere and then things start to get better and you start to get that taste of success. And for me personally, that was when I was feeling a little bit more relaxed in the business, but now I'm driven to succeed. Now, you know, people start to come to us for things. They start to know who you are when you go out around the town. So there's a new little ego that starts to arrive as a leader. Of like, <laughs> I got my swagger now. Like, I'm not trying to survive. I'm trying to like do the thing. What I learned through that process is, man, those little hits and little wins, they add up and they feel really good. For me, the company growth was outpacing my own personal growth through that process of just, I am my business. Like that is the identity that I took on during that phase that you don't know how to say no to things. You don't know how to slow the machine down or what I, I consider is how to be more intentional about what you're doing. You're just doing and growing for the sake of it. And that's never been my goal, but sometimes you get caught up. I think every person's been caught up in that moment of momentum and it comes on really fast and it feels good in the moment. But I would say a big, a pivotal moment for me in catching myself was in 2018. So a few years ago, I had a lot of people in my life that were asking me, are you okay? Like, are you good? And you start to wonder, like, I usually am always the good one. <laughs> I'm always okay. And I started to realize how unsustainable that type of growth and leadership was for me. It was putting me in a place where I would sacrifice anything, even myself, <laughs> my own health, my own mental wellness for the sake of the business. And I, I was exhausted from the go, 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 more, more, more. And I knew that I just needed to step away for a little bit and kind of rediscover what I wanted, what a more sustainable future could look like and building in kind of the, the team and the processes that come with that, that come naturally with more intention about what we're doing and how we're going to do it and what the result's going to be. So one of the steps I did was I put together a board. 
I told them I'm going to take two months off in our first board meeting. I'm going to take a sabbatical. And I will say that doing this as a leader, it's going to create some adversity. You're not going to always get support. And I will say that I, I really didn't have that much support from the people in my life around taking a few months off when it comes to the professional elements, when it comes to running the business and what we were going to do. But I did it anyway. And coming back really just pivoted my leadership style to be more the leader that I've always been. Reconnecting to what my values were, what my purpose was. And then where did the business fit into that? Rather than where's the business going and how do I fit my life into the business? So I think for me, it was really like our culture talks a lot about burnout. Yep, I burned out. That's for sure. But I also reinvented myself in the process. And I think for any business leader, being open to that was something that was really hard for me and took a lot of time. You know, I'm three years in and I'm still uncovering and still going deeper and excavating all of the things. But I would have never changed that decision to take a step back, to look inwardly at who I was and maybe who I didn't want to be anymore and how I wanted to show up as the the leader that I knew that I, I truly am meant to be and am. I just hadn't really taken the time. Oh my gosh. There was so much there in what you, in what you just said, Emily. And I so appreciate your, your honesty around this. There was a phrase when you said the company growth was outpacing my personal growth. That to me was a mic drop moment. And I feel like we could swap out a few of those words, meaning we could say my family's growth was outpacing my personal growth. My geographical move was outpacing my internal movement, whatever it is, that whatever the major thing externally going on in our life is, that if that is where the bulk of our attention goes, that that can outpace, right? If all of our energy is going there, it can outpace the internal work. And that perhaps that is part of the the way we find ourselves cooked to a crisp. And so when you talk about burnout as a basis for reinvention, and I've heard you describe it, you know, as this phoenix coming from the ashes, that that's what that moment was. I think while the goal, of course, is to not reach burnout, the truth is most of us do. Like I know I needed to reach it multiple times before I got the message and I can't commit that I'll never do it again either. You know, like it's, it happens it's <laughs> slow, it's sneaky, right? We spotted a lot earlier with practice, but this idea that to not see the burnout as a failure, rather to see the burnout as, oh, okay, this is the reckoning. This is the invitation to reinvent. If this isn't working, then what do I want to do next? And you said something huge that I don't know that anybody on the show has ever said so clearly out loud before. And for those listening, I'd be really curious to hear if this is relatable. Emily, you said when you knew it was time to reinvent, when you knew it was time to figure out, okay, there's got to be another way, you had the wisdom to create a board. So right there, you reached out for allyship, for advocacy, for some support. So that's huge. But then also the acknowledgement that not everybody chose to support your decision to take a break or to do things differently and that you still continue to do it anyway. But I want to like hold that in the room because I think the major fear for a lot of people is, well, yeah, what if I decide to take a break, take a sabbatical, hire help, whatever it is, press pause, take a different job for a little while, whatever it looks like for people. The fear is that people will judge us or they will think less of us or they won't stand by us. They won't understand us, that we might feel isolated. And 
while that doesn't happen for most people everywhere, where we do find a lot of support comes out of the woodwork, I think your acknowledgement of, but it didn't come out of every piece of woodwork is really real. And so I'm curious for you, what allowed you, even in a moment where you weren't feeling supported in making the decision to make a change by everyone, what allowed you to continue to lean into that transition anyway? What made you say, okay, not everybody's got my back on this, but I still want to explore it. Yeah, I think um, to clarify, it was actually paying attention to the voices and the people that did support me. Mm. The people that when I was averse to the idea at first, I thought it was a crazy idea. Like who would do this? Who would leave their own company for a few months? That it were the people that were like, you know, maybe you should. (laughs) Maybe this isn't so bad of an idea. And I have to tell you that some of those people really surprised me. Some of those people were on this journey with me for a long time, but were very silent voices in it. They never had like a stake in the game with the business or how I was growing. They were just in my corner cheering me along. And a lot of those were dear friends and my family, people that knew me prior to the socialites. And I think for me, it was a really important moment to pay attention to them, to realize that going back to second grade, Emily, they saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. And this time it wasn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. This time it was a really hard thing, a really sensitive thing that I was having a hard time confronting and maybe, maybe not even knowing I was even at such a bad place, but as people who, who were with me for the long haul on this journey, they They wanted what was best for me in those moments. I also just followed my own truth. Like I knew it was the right thing to do for me. And I knew that it was time to start including myself in the business in addition to everybody else. That was when I couldn't be talked out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's huge that, you know, your ability to discern who is it that is able to hold my well-being at heart. And how can I lean in their direction right now? And to go where the advocacy was, to pay attention, because all the voices are there, the real and the perceived voices of people are going to love this or they're going to hate it. They're both there. It's all there. And that you had the wisdom to lean towards the voices that included your well-being, including your own voice. It said, of all the people that I'm taking care of, I might include myself on the list (laughs) of those people. So I'm curious, as we talk about the evolution of the way you work and the evolution of the socialites. I know, you know, you've got a fair amount of people who fall into the millennial category on your team and in a changing workplace. How are these changes and the influence of a millennial generation influencing the way you work as an organization? What are you seeing there? I mean, I'm a millennial. So, you know, in some ways you could say like, these are my people. (laughs) I am one of them. (laughs) But I will say the next generation, Gen Z entering the workplace is where we're at now, um, having a younger workforce. And it's very different. These are our adults that grew up as kids with technology. They were very plugged in. And now that they're entering a workforce two years after COVID, after being disconnected in a world where everything shifted and they're entering the workforce for the first time in a workforce that has never existed in the way that it has before in our lifetime, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. That's a really tough place to be. So I think the first thing that we always think about with it, you know, as we're hiring, as we're meeting new people, as we're building our company is really lead with some empathy. Understand that 
this isn't easy for anybody. This transition is really tough for people who have been in their jobs for 40 years and people who are starting their jobs in 40 days from now. This is going to be a tough transition for everybody to navigate. So I think having some empathy and understanding where everyone's coming from is like where we always like to start. But then also listening. I think that that's something I've tried to cultivate more as a leader as the business has evolved is be open to listening. What is the feedback they're giving? What are their needs in a workplace? And being open that it's going to be different than people that have been in the workforce for a really long time. So then start to consider how do you have flexibility in what you offer as a business? You can't be everything to everybody. None of us can do that. But where's the middle? Where's the middle ground? Instead of it being all or nothing, where can we experiment a little bit? Where could we test something out? We've actually been back in a hybrid work environment for over a year when many businesses aren't back yet. And on day one, when we got our team together, we said, you just walked into a lab. This is the biggest experiment we're going to do as a company. And here's what we're going to learn. Here's what we're testing. Here's our hypothesis. Here's how we're going to give you feedback and communicate with you of how we're changing and adapting along the way. And I will say it was a really tough conversation to have. I was nervous about how the next generation would perceive that because we're in a, a time of uncertainty. Nobody else you know, is going back to the office. Yet here we were asking people to, to try it out, to try something new on. And what we found a year later, so anybody listening, if you're still working from home, or if you're starting to go back into the workforce, here's what you can anticipate happening is that beyond the initial resistance or confusion around why are we doing this and nobody else is, our team actually now feels very autonomous. Mm -hmm. They get to make their own decisions and they know that those will be respected in the way that we work. And they know that there's some things that we require them to be in person for, and they're okay with that. And those are some risks that we had to take as a company but risk comes with great reward. And I will say that our team is feeling more connected than we ever have and understands each other better. And I think that comes from the ability to be open to hearing everyone's voice, to letting people ask questions, to being okay with saying, here's what we know now, and that might change. So be open to it, be open to adapt with us. And I think if you apply that one COVID example, to how you operate your business and the methodologies that you put on anything you're trying to test and learn and adapt. I think it can be really powerful in what you get back and what your team teaches you about the process because they have a lot to say and they have a lot of great ideas and they want to be shepherded. They want to be shown the way as well. So being open to taking a step back and sitting with them and hearing from them and training them and developing them both in what they do, but also in where they want to go in life, I think has been a huge game changer for us. As you describe this, I hear, I hear this process of engaging empathy and experimentation as a pathway to evolving together, right? And that it's starting with that human element of empathy when you say, okay, so for Gen Z coming into a workforce after or in the middle of a pandemic, working remote, is a huge shift to suddenly be back in person or for some of them in person for the first time during all of this. And so to have empathy for the process of that transition that they're navigating, 
and to do your signature listening and being curious and getting to know them on a personal level and what their personal needs are, what their professional needs are. Do you find that the cultivation of empathy helps people get on board for the experimental process or, you know, tone that you're bringing when you are, when you're able to say, look, we don't know how this is going to go either. Here's our hypothesis, right? That having a hybrid model is going to work. We're going to find out together. And you say people are okay with that. Do you, do you credit the empathy to part of the ability or the willingness for people to experiment together? Yeah, I, I think it's empathy. I think it's also just, it's a shared experience. Our cards are all on the table. Nobody had a hidden agenda, any more information than the next. We weren't holding anything to our chest. I think it's that honesty too and transparency of we don't know everything. And I think sometimes, you know, going back to being a boss or a coach or an advocate, the willingness to admit that to the team, it can be scary. It can be a moment where you feel like I should have the answers. I should feel more confident in this decision. But if you look at the surroundings, how would you? So I think first it's just being okay with it on your own terms of like, this is the type of leader I want to be. I want to lead from a place of authenticity and transparency with my team. And then I want to help them see it from my perspective, just as much as I want to help them see it from their own. And then that will... Again, they'll understand this is coming from a good place. This is keeping everyone's best intentions in mind, both my own, theirs, and the business and what's happening in the world around us. I love that, you know, that this approach of including people in the conversation of the evolution and, hey, here's what we're trying on. Here's the next experiment, you know, and being thoughtful. I know you're thoughtful, you know, before you bring that meeting forth, but then you know, eliciting collaboration and a sense of teamwork. Let's navigate this together. It holds your employees with such a level of respect and regard, meaning that there's not this top down, I need to be your parent and we're doing it my way because I said so. But it's this like, hey, I want you in on this with me. Like, and I respect you enough and regard you well enough to want to include your voice and your courage in this process with us. And so I think it's really beautiful and a great reframing of the idea that when we, when we come to the table thinking we figured it all out, we're really not creating space for other people to be part of the process. And the buy-in that comes when we know we're part of something, we're not just doing what we've been told to do, but we're doing what we're helping to create is a very, very different energy. And I just really appreciate that courage that it takes from you to be able to say, hey, we're going to figure this out together. What could that look like? It's easy to talk about this in as we're reflecting on it, but there might be some people that just can't come around to this idea. And I will tell you that Emily pre-sabbatical would have never done this. Mm, Because, oh, tell me more. Because I hadn't done the work on myself because I hadn't felt comfortable with myself and who I was as a leader and leading with my values and leading authentically into the future that I would have put, you know, we talk about this all the time. The armor goes on, you're leading like you're going into battle and you're taking your team with you and operating from a place of fear or needing to go in and win or lose. That's scary for a lot of people. That's when people start to look around and say, Ooh, we're doing something we should not be doing, or this is a battlefield. And I don't want to be part of that. Where I think if you humanize it and say, actually, you guys, we're going to do this together. It's more like we're locking arms and we're like walking forward together. 
and it feels better for the team. It feels a lot safer. It feels more comfortable. And it also feels like there isn't just like a commander telling them what to do. It's like, I'm right there with them and we're all going to walk forward together. So I think it's easy to like, if I were listening to this in 2018, I think I maybe would have like rolled my eyes and been like, sure, yes, that sounds great. Good for you. Not for me. <laughs> but, but, you know, we talk a lot about you got to do the work. You just have to do the work on yourself. And these types of things will become so much more clear the right way to go forward and come so much more naturally. And then once you do it once, feels good. You want to do it again. And your team starts to like it too. And they start to want to do more of this together. So I think that's kind of the momentum that we're experiencing right now, but I will say it hasn't been easy to get there. Well, and I think, you know, you're speaking to something that a lot of leaders relate to. You and I have talked about this many times, but just this idea that those of us who say, you know, like the hardest workers in the room, or we pride ourselves on being really hard workers. And I personally, I'll only speak for myself, call a little BS on that because, because doing the quote hard work in terms of labor, in terms of putting in the hours, building the spreadsheet, running the meetings, that's the stuff that actually comes quite naturally to us. That's actually our comfort zone. It's still work, but it's our comfort zone. And when you speak to this as doing the work, I'm thinking of the internal work. Right. Like that's where the real stuff is, where we hit the pain point, we hit the tenderness, we hear the old stories or the experiences we had that taught us that we had to do it all ourselves and what it means to build a new narrative really requires this decision to sit with discomfort or sit with challenging internal things. And so I just really appreciate your honesty and the practical way you give examples of how that shifts. I think about leading through collaboration as you use the word natural. It becomes a lot more natural when we tap into our natural selves. What is it that I really want? What really fuels me? That these things that can feel like big, hard, scary decisions become a lot more approachable as a byproduct of doing the internal work. And so thank you for modeling what that can look like for those of us who are thinking, I'm already working plenty hard. This is a <laughs> Yes, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you clarified that because yes, doing the work. In the business, that is the easy stuff. We know how to put in long days. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is another type of, of courage. So a question for you, one last one for you, now that we're on this, is what do you think allowed you, when your plate was already full, like in terms of hours of work expected from you, to find a way to do the internal work? Like, how did that begin? How did you begin to do the internal work that was going to lead to these great results down the road. How does that process even start? Or for somebody listening, what do you wish you knew then that you could say to them about beginning or going deeper into the internal work required to lead? I mean, I think the first was if you've ever had to just slow down for a little bit and you get really uncomfortable, (laughs) really uncomfortable with what comes up in your thoughts of just being versus doing. And I think for me, it was having to find the quiet time to slow down and really listen to what my inside was telling me. Those like little whispers. What are those little whispers? When you're going and going and going, it just completely drowns them out. In fact, you kind of almost resist it. Like, don't bother me. Like I'm working. I'm doing my thing. (laughs) Get away. But I think, yeah, for me, the first step was just like, 
taking a step back and saying like, I'm not okay. Like admitting it, right. I'm not okay. Having other people validate that. Like, yeah, maybe you're not. And then just starting to think of alternatives. Like what's the alternative to this? What's the worst thing that could happen? And then going back to your belief system, is this like a belief that I have about myself, about my job, about my worth? And is it true? Is it true? Or is it just something I'm telling myself? We all have a lot of um, conversations with ourselves. I've started to notice this thanks to working with you, Carly, and starting to understand like what's just noise and what is true. So I think for yeah, slowing down, being versus doing, seeing what comes up and then confronting it. Once I heard the little whispers, like I knew what to do, like following them, choosing to follow them. That was probably the scariest of all because it meant I had to, I had to act. I had to do something. And then knowing that, okay, I'm going to go into an, I'm doing something that's counterculture, right? I'm doing something that hasn't been done before, at least at our organization. And I'm going to go into it with a lot of like love and excitement rather than the armor. Because when I faced the resistance, when, you know, I faced pushback on it, it wasn't coming from a place of I need to go to battle with you. It was, I need this for me. That changed how I felt about the decision. It wasn't a me versus you. It was a me for me. Like I'm here for me right now. And I'm going to show up for me regardless. Oh my gosh. That's huge, Emily. I love the way you frame that. This wasn't about me going to battle with anybody else or going battle with the industry. This was about me learning how to soften and drop the guard a little bit and saddle up to myself and what I knew to be true in that moment. These whispers that you had been hearing. Thank you so much for that. All right. Are you game to do our two-way Q&A? Let's do it. All right. I'm always game, Carly. You are. Let's play. You're the ready one. You're always in. If you came with a warning label, Emily, what would it say? It would say sin mierdo, meaning without fear. Without fear. Will you say that phrase again? Sin mierdo. Sin mierdo, without fear. Mm, Thank you for that. So based on our conversation, what's one question you have for a woman listening? What are you wondering? If I were listening to this show, what, what is your internal whisper telling you? And are you listening to it or are you avoiding it? Ooh, what is your internal whisper telling you? And are you listening to it? Are you avoiding it? That's the powerful question. And we want to know the answer to that. All of Emily's contact information will be right here in the show notes and mine as well. That to me sounds like the beginning of a very rich conversation right there. So then here's my last question for you, Emily. Even if other people disagree, having navigated this type of internal transition that has led to a significant external transition for your, for your company, for the socialites, what is one thing you know to be true? One thing I know to be true. I have everything I need right within me. Yeah, it's all there. Just got to dig for it sometimes. You got to be reminded that you have that. You have that joy. Go find it. You have energy or you know what? You can take rest. Yeah, your body, it knows how to do that. <laughs> So I have what I need. I love that, especially if we go back to your earlier phrase around, if we find that our life or our work has somehow outpaced us, 
the reminder that we have what we need. Can we listen to it? Can we listen? Oh, Emily, thank you so much for being with us. The ways you have very practically and pragmatically shared a little bit about what it's like to navigate the transition of running a company in this time is wildly inspiring. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for you because a lot of this stems from the work that we've done together. So I'm so, so grateful. Emily's concept of the entrepreneurial ecosystem speaks powerfully to approaching the ways we work and live in a more sustainable way. I really encourage you to download the guidebook that goes with this season if you haven't already and know that all of Emily's contact info is here in the show notes if you want to engage with her or go visit thesocialites.com. But don't just keep your thoughts to yourself. (laughs) Bring them to the community. Tell me in a review on iTunes or on social media, what is one word or thought or phrase from today's episode that you don't want to forget? Your thoughts matter. And I would love to hear what's true for you and give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. And stay tuned because we're going to be practicing exactly what Emily is teaching. Next week's episode is the last one of the season and it is an extra special culmination moment. We're going to be sharing our first ever recording of a live, messy, and magnificent community gathering where Dr. Maria Serwa, a masterful teacher in the field of positive psychology and resilience and authenticity, joined me and people from around the world in our community to generously share the best of what is proven to work during times of change. It's so powerful to take the concepts we've been discussing all season long and then address your questions and your thoughts on the spot. So if you want to be part of our ecosystem and have some major allyship, certainly tune in next week. And between now and then, remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. And one way to work healthier, not harder, is to consider the allies and the ecosystem that you thrive in. I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.